and welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly Doof Network dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back this very special Boxing Day to talk about uh, the Christmas film from 2015, The Night Before. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as is tradition, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously very <laughs> important on Christmas, uh, why don't you yes. start us off with the plot summary? Yes, so The Night Before is a story about Tracy Morgan, who plays Santa, and he's telling a story <laughs> to all his little elves. Um, and slash this, angels? Slash uh, an angel. Do we want to get into his that son? right now? Right, like, <laughs> we'll get to that later. I have stuff to say about that. Um, so he's telling this story to his elves, and this story is about three friends, one who is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, one who is played by uh, Seth Rogen, and one who is played by Anthony Mackie. Sorry, I should say... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is, I've forgotten his name, like Ethan, I think, something yep. like that. Uh, Isaac is Seth Rogen's character, and Anthony Mackie's character is Chris Robinson, something like that. Yeah, yeah, Chris B or something, yeah. Yes, so uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, uh, his parents, the story actually starts with a little prologue about his parents dying. Uh, they, they both die in, I think, a, a car crash or something like that, and he is left an orphan on Christmas. Um when he's he's not a child he's i was actually expecting him to be a child uh but he's not he's he's older than that um yeah well he's like in high school like i got the impression it's meant to be like 16 17 yeah i guess that's a child um but whenever i hear like the word orphan for some reason i think of like all of a twist level like you know 10 years old to 10 year old yeah so i was a bit surprised by (laughs) how much older he is anyway so he's got no family for christmas it's very sad and so isaac and chris come over and hang out with him for christmas and they start this tradition of spending time together for christmas because they didn't really want to spend time with their families um Mm. on this first christmas they hang out they go drinking they set all kinds of traditions that they're going to keep for 13 years and none more important than finding out about a party called the Nutcracker Ball that they uh, uh, that is built up as this kind of uh, mysteriously epic Christmas party uh, that they seemingly can't find for thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so they sort of go go through their tradition every year, like yep. on Christmas Eve, while also trying to uh, track down tickets to the Nutcracker Ball. Yes, and the main part of our movie takes place uh, on the 13th uh, night of this tradition. They've kind of decided that it's time for it to end because um, Anthony Mackie is now a super famous basketballer and uh, Isaac has a family now um, and it's kind of, they've outgrown this tradition a bit. Um, Hmm. And so uh, they they do their tradition for one last time, but this time uh, Ethan has managed to snag tickets to this Nutcracker Ball and so they finally get to experience it. And they basically go on a series of misadventures on their way to this mythical party, which they eventually get to and it imparts some nice Christmas wisdom on them um, and then they have a good time. They make new traditions, etc. It's very Christmas. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think this movie does a particularly good job of handling Christmas themes because there's not really a way to do a Christmas story without it being fairly ham-fisted. Yes. And I, I think this movie just kind of embraces that and works it into the comedy uh, in a good yeah. way. So it's kind of like, you, you know exactly where all of this is heading fairly early on. And it's still, it's just delivered in a way that you're kind of like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to watch a Christmas movie and not come away with the criticism. Well, that was a bit formulaic, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know of a Christmas movie that isn't formulaic to some extent. And and the night before is no exception, but it does play with the formula in some fun ways, right? So, mm. um, 
for example, this whole prologue that I mentioned at the start about, you know, his his parents dying and finding out about the Nutcracker Ball, this is all delivered in rhyme. Um, and it goes for like yeah. three minutes. I was like, oh shit, is this whole movie in rhyme <laughs> for a second? <laughs> um, and, and there's some other bits where they'll play with like Christmassy sound effects and lighting and stuff and tie it into this kind of, I guess the word is magical realism, right? Um, and this is something that I really yeah. liked about the movie is it had this kind of magical realism vibe that I really found myself enjoying. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like they set up Mr. Green, who was their, their pot dealer, yes. um, early on as like, uh, like you, you kind of can't tell if he's just a wise stoner or, or actually a bit more magical. Like the way he, there's a bit, um, uh, and I really enjoyed this sort of watching it again, having seen it recently where it's like, um, you know, he's like, oh, you know, tell Isaac, I look forward to seeing him in a few hours yes. and you just sort of almost write it off as like, oh, that was weird. And then. Sure enough, they lose the pot and they have to go find Mr. Green again a couple of hours later and Isaac's yeah. the one who goes in um, and he does the whole, uh, he gives them the weed of Christmas past, the, the weed of Christmas present, and the weed of Christmas future. Um, it's yeah. it's kind of, it, I think I think they balance it really well for, for the most part. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think one of the other bits of magical realism I liked the most was uh, this character who was basically a Grinch, somebody who really hated Christmas and basically spent Christmas Eve going out of their way to fuck with people who seemed to be having a good time. Um, yeah. This was one of my favorite characters because they were basically a kind of prankster spirit that just went around doing crazy <laughs> parkour to fuck with people. Um, yeah, yeah. And, it, and and they, whereas Mr. Green is kind of explicitly supernatural, this character was very much a human, but just, like, acted in a way that no human would actually act, <laughs> uh, lending towards this idea of this story being set in a kind of hyper-magical New York City where sometimes things like this just happen. Yeah, 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 I, I, I agree. Like, I think I think the movie has, has fun and integrates the fact that, um, you know, this is all a bit ridiculous, and the fact that the same people keep showing up around town is just a bit ridiculous in a place like new york city and it, yeah. it's it's just sort of having fun with it yeah yeah um i want to let's talk about each of the characters uh the yeah. three main characters right um and i'll start with with anthony mackie's character chris i think is his name chris b something like yep. that um he is a he has very recently become a basketball professional uh because so is, he's, it, is it basketball or nfl I, I maybe it it's 40. NFL. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it, some kind of sport. <laughs> yeah, um, he's become a sportsman. Yes, through a combination of uh, doping and a strong influencer branding. It seems he's yeah. just kind of built a brand for himself. Um, so a lot of his jokes revolve around how he's just recently got a big sponsorship from Red Bull, and so he's uh, <laughs> plugging Red Bull basically every chance he gets. Which yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's product placement for the movie, but it was so kind of. It's that kind of joke where they put it right in your face, and so you're kind of like, yeah, all right, I'll allow it, because it's funny enough that, that they can get away with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, I, I really liked um, the way they, they kind of immediately show us that he's been doping at the start of the film, yep. and you're just kind of waiting to see when the others will click into it, and it sort of turns out they've known. The yes, they've and known I, the whole time and actively avoid talking about it, which I think is a fun way to, for that to come out. Yeah, and because it's sort of a recurring theme is that they're all uh, kind of holding each other back and, and then they sort of have to, 
actually confront each other to move forward uh, is, is something that sort of comes up towards the end um and yeah but like and I, I agree like all the stuff with the red bull is hilarious like i love the way it's just so blatantly done um <laughs> it's a form of comedy that works for me i mean community did the same thing a few times um it's it's basically always a hit for me kind of just embracing the hyper commercialism of, of some of this stuff yes um then we have uh isaac seth rogan's character who is uh basically his his wife is about to have a child she's something like eight and a half months pregnant well she's nine months pregnant because she gives birth at the end of the film i suppose yeah um and he is uh kind of struggling to be the the rock that she has needed he's been kind of playing this role of being dependable and supportive the entire time or kind of internally freaking out a bit but not feeling like he's able to express this um and then he just does a lot of drugs over the course of this evening um as a kind of one last night thing yeah well i think my favorite part about that is that it's like his wife who gives them to him because i think it'd be so easy to set up the whole thing where it's like you know he you know, he has this wife and he can't let her know how high yes. he is or whatever like that. That would sort of be the very uh, like bog standard way to do it. But they, they take a much more interesting approach, which is like, she's kind of like, this is your last night. You're about to become a father. Uh, like, here's a bunch of drugs. I want you to go out and have a wild night and come back sort of, you know, r- ready to continue being such a good father. Because he's like, she's basically thanking him for doing such a good job during the pregnancy. Yes. Um, And, and then obviously like I, that part of the dynamic is so perfect when they run into each other at the midnight mass at the catholic church because uh, yeah. he's jewish and she's a catholic and um he's just at that point he's had so many of the drugs that she gave him that he's like <laughs> he's really not, lost not the able plot to, at this point yeah, he's, yeah. He's just a mess uh and it's it's a great scene that just works because for her it's also kind of her fault like <laughs> I, I, I think i think that's why it works so well yeah um and like i don't know what the the general perception of seth rogan is uh, but my my take on him is he can he's he can be really funny sometimes but just sometimes i feel like he doesn't put in effort and thankfully this is one of the movies where he does <laughs> put in effort and so it really lands there's this one scene that i really like where he's accidentally swapped phones with another character and he starts receiving dick pics from the presumably mm. boyfriend of this character that ends up being James Franco. I guess not boyfriend, but like the hookup or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he, because of how high he is, kind of doesn't realize that these aren't meant for him. And so <laughs> gets most of the way towards questioning his sexuality because of this one incident. And it's it's a very funny scene. It's a scene that really worked on me. And it's, yeah. it's really stupid as well, but it just did work <laughs> on me, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I, it's a hilarious thing. Like, watching him try to grapple with the fact that he's getting sent dick pics and then being asked, like, you know, is this what you want? And him being like, wait, is it? Um, it's, yeah. it's so well done. And, uh, you know what I, it I is? mean, I, I, the church, oh, sorry. sorry, continue. I was going to say the, the church scene stands out to me for the same reason. Like, I think just watching, watching such a great performance of somebody kind of struggling to respond with drugs i like the church scene as well because it's it's like uh his his wife and and her sister kind of struggling Mm. to deal with him as well like i think both of those are just standout scenes of the movie for me i think the reason his character works in this film is because he has this kind of like childlike kindness while also being completely derailed um yeah like something that really crystallized this for me was later on 
uh, when he, they finally get to the party, uh, Seth Rogen's character Isaac reunites with uh, Mindy Kaling's character, who's the one he's accidentally swapped phones with, and they meet up with James Franco, who's the person who has been texting them, and Seth Rogen just has this, like, pure innocence in his reaction to how he talks to Mindy Kaling and James Franco, <laughs> in that he's, like, very supportive of Mindy Kaling, uh, kind of... Uh, hooking up with James Franco because he's seen, you know, what he, what he has to offer, I guess. <laughs> and then the scene kind of, because he's so enthusiastic, it seems like it's heading towards a threesome. And, uh, and Seth Rogen's like, cool. Yeah, whatever. Like he's just very supportive. And it's very, it's a very weird scene, but it, I think that's why his character works is just because he is so supportive of, of people while he's high. And it just kind of works out that way. <laughs> Yeah, well, and he's not like a dropkick. Like, he's not the stoner character who has nothing going on in his life. Yes. He's arguably the one who's got his shit the most together out of the three of them. Definitely. Uh, and 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 so just sort of seeing him kind of, uh, like, you know, lose himself and just having fun is, is kind of good to see in a way that's not really harming anyone or anything except maybe Mindy Kaling. Yes. Um, so finally, the third character that rounds out the cast is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, the main character of the film. Um, and his arc is interesting. I, I, you kind of think that it's going to be him not being able to let go of this tradition, but he seems to be mostly okay with the fact that it's ending. A bit sad that it means that it will come to an end, but he's kind of happy for them to have one last night of it. Um, and then you kind of learn more about his character, the fact that he has recently broken up or been broken up with uh, because he wasn't able to uh, mature, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and and then this evening kind of crystallizes that for him and he kind of realizes what he needs to do and what he wants and it ends with him getting back together with this girl that uh, dumped him because he wasn't able to meet her parents, which is very specific and weird, <laughs> like, phobia to have, right? Is that a... Like, they were together for, what, like, two years, and he refused to meet her parents, which they give a reason for it, which is that he, he kind of doesn't want yeah. his family dynamic to be uh, overruled, this dynamic that he has with uh, the other two main characters. But even so, I feel like it's a bit of a weird, <laughs> weird thing for him to think. I mean, I think it makes more sense if you consider his own relationship with him, like, well, the fact that he lost his parents. Mm. Uh, like, like, I think that's really what it is, is he, like, he's afraid of it because of that. Like, he's latched on to Isaac and Chris as his, his new family, and, it, like, obviously that has kind of, di like, dictated his entire life in a way, the way he kind of didn't move on and has latched onto these two, and the thought of moving on and, and making, like, another new family just terrifies him like i i think i think the way it comes together at the end made it make a lot of sense for me yeah i think the ending of this plot really made it land because it yeah it kind of gave the movie this feeling that these three characters all had relatively mundane problems that they were struggling to face and they needed this magical evening to help them kind of uh, crystallize what they needed to do right um mm. and and i think this lands the best with joseph gordon levitt's character who you know, goes on a real journey that involves uh, having Miley Cyrus help him propose to this girl. Uh, and then obviously that is crazy and doesn't work. Um, and so what ends up happening is he kind of has this down to earth moment the next night, uh, the next morning, sorry, of going to talk to her and actually being like, okay, yes, this is how I feel. And like, I know that I fucked this up, but I want to try and improve myself in this way. And it's a very like adult way of having that conversation in contrast yes. to the magical evening that they had last night <laughs> yeah 
Actually, I just want to talk about that Miley Cyrus bit is some of my favorite stuff in the film. Um, mm. The bit where she asks them to call her Hannah um, <laughs> is is such a good way that it gets me every time. Yes, I, I think Miley Cyrus is quite good at playing like uh, amplified versions of herself for comedy, like basically similar yeah, to what yeah. she did in Black Mirror. Um, but she does this a fair amount, and it always seems to work for me. I think she's she's uh, comfortably able to take a good natured like jabs at her character which is good yeah exactly like she seems to actually be having a ball kind of uh, like lightheartedly taking the piss of herself a little bit as well as, well as getting involved in this movie and it, it like that that positive vibe really comes across yes um so i think my overall thoughts about this movie are it's kind of the same as these types of movies right and it's it's actually the overlap between um the the stoner comedy kind of thing uh, like this movie, or like I guess Sausage Party, which is another one that we've both watched together, and movies yeah. like Christmas movies, they kind of overlap in the same way where they, you know, they're going to be a bit formulaic. You know that they're going to have a number of big stars doing okay performances, but kind of mediocre direction, that kind of stuff. But it all, the fact that this is both one of these stoner comedies and a Christmas movie, I think, really helps bridge the gap for that because they're both kind of genres that are defined by mostly being just okay movies like they're never going to be the best movie of all time yeah well i i, I think the two genres complement each other really yes, well exactly uh, because they they do both just sort of involve uh wa- wacky adventures where you kind of learn a lesson uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a, as you go and and so like just seeing them mesh together you just kind of like this makes a lot of sense yeah and i think the moments this movie worked the best was when it had that wackiness i think it it went a bit too magical at times, especially towards the end. We saw uh, the character of Mr. Green, like, actually grow wings and fly away, <laughs> which was, like, yeah, very I- much... Yeah, it was, like, the. it was a very, like, they pushed it just a bit too far, which is very stoner <laughs> comedy and not Christmas. Like, if it was Christmas, they would leave it a bit more understated. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, that, that, that scene is very much just meant to be a bit of a shock value joke. Yes. Um, like, just the idea that they sort of take something that's been so subtle and just like, and now he has wings and he flies off the screen. Yeah. And you, you, you just sort of left a bit like, shit, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like, huh, all right. Like, I think that's probably, it, that's where it went a bit too stoner comedy and a bit less Christmas, which I think were the moments that this movie was, felt a bit weaker was when they leaned into the stoner comedy stuff more than the Christmassy stuff. But on the whole, the balance is pretty good. Um, so you can't really fault it too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the number that I'm going to give this movie, I think, is a 7 out of 10. Okay. 7, not bad. I mean, I think that's a huge uh, PB for the Christmas category. Yes. For Christmas um, for Christmas recommendations, I think this is probably the best. Uh, I'd be very surprised if it's not. Yeah. um so that was our discussion on the night before now it's time to talk about what we're doing next fortnight and actually we have a very special guest who is here to to prescribe us something uh welcome matt freeman from a a number of doof media shows to the show oh thanks uh hi everybody yeah night before never seen it (laughs) well thank you for just sitting quietly uh while we talked about it um but what are you here for us to sounds okay what do you what do you got for us (laughs) Uh, i am bringing to you as a prescription the Magnus Archives, which is, I'm just going to read their sentence explanation and then I'll give my explanation. The Magnus Archives is a weekly horror fiction anthology podcast examining what lurks in the archives of the Magnus Institute, an organization dedicated to researching the esoteric and the weird. 
So the Magnus Archives is a podcast. It's, it's an audio drama. Uh, it's it, it, what I keep telling people, and and no one has contradicted me on this, is that it starts good and then gets linearly better over time. Um, so basically, each episode of this podcast, they're like twenty five minutes long, and each of them is sort of a horror short story. Um, but it is within the framing device of being like something from the records of this Magnus Archives, and so each of these horror short stories tends to be like like from good to great um and then there and then the framing story of like what's going on in the background of the magnus archives what's going on at this institute who are these characters and what are they doing what what are their lives like and what are their concerns um that becomes increasingly more relevant as the show goes on uh season one is what i'm going to prescribe to you um which is plenty good i will say the show just gets better and better uh, but i'm not going to prescribe you like <laughs> tens of hours of podcasts to listen to. I, I, I honestly, I think you'll just end up listening to it on your own, uh, frankly, because I've never known anyone to stop uh, after starting it. But uh, the the first, I mean, the first season is is a great bite sized piece. I would say um, it it gets to all, all the stuff that's good about it. The voice acting, um, the the characters, the stories. There's plenty of really great, great like particularly great episodes in there that I'm sure you'll you'll like. So. That's my condensed sales pitch for now. So I guess I have a question. We sure. haven't done too much sort of scripted podcasting content here before. So wait, the the seasons, that's very much something they're sort of setting out to do. Like it's not just that they're hitting random points and taking a break. It's actually like there's a there's a sense of an overarching story over a season. Yeah, very much so. That's one of the elements that's the most uh, frustratingly impressive about it is <laughs> it's just so so goddamn well put together. Like like the like every episode, every season is forty episodes exactly, and they like they have a clear arc. Um, they're the I don't want to say too much uh, other than the seasons are basically self-contained arcs. Although they can, well, okay, not self-contained because arc two like season two follows on season one. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a but but um but but like a very a very satisfying I'll say I'll say it's a satisfying conclusion like right now uh season 4 has ended and they're basically doing all the writing and prep work for season 5 um and, and that's going to be like a you know a unit of storytelling if you will um so yeah it's very very planned out it's not like they just kind of rattled off a few episodes of horror short story that they had in mind it it was it was all put together and um really really well thought out and and clever um and and uh i mean I, it, stuff like this i i i've i've now sold it to a bunch of people and and they've said that they like it a lot i i at the risk of overselling it um it's it's really it it's rapidly become one of my obsessions honestly in in the last few weeks no well, um obviously anyone who is a patron who's listening to this will be familiar with what's happened to our discord uh in the last <laughs> month or two as uh <laughs> The Magnus Archives has seemingly taken over. Um, yes. Yeah. It's basically what we talk about in the podcast channel now. Uh, should just make a should make a separate channel for Magnus Archives. I've got to say, as as someone who was raised on, uh, like you know, nineties slash two thousands TV, um, which was largely based on the idea of like episodic episodes, but with this overarching plot. I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited to dive into this because that's something you don't see as much these days. Right. Yeah, I mean some I think you could probably you probably wouldn't be too far wrong in even making explicit comparisons to things like the X-Files for example. 
um, mm. which uh, I don't know if I don't know if you guys seen the X Files or ever, yes, ever watched? yeah, yep. I think we, uh, we did an episode. We did on an episode it, uh, a few yep. years ago. Yeah, um, I mean, it's obviously got a, a, a lot of differences. It's just like, yeah, I mean, the idea of a of a you know audio narrative or continuing like horror horror anthology is uh, is not a novel idea, obviously. So, um, but this is a very good execution of the concept. I think something that I really like in storytelling is what it sounds like. This is where you've got arguably the the main thrust is short stories, but then a kind of emergent narrative that comes out between them and around them, um, which definitely Mm -hmm. sounds like my jam. (laughs) Yeah. That's what makes them, that's what makes it so nice is that you can pretty much just listen to an episode and then you're like, God, that was a delightful morsel of storytelling. And yes, it connects to the, the framing story, but also you can just appreciate that one story for what it is. And like, you can go on and be like, oh, I just listened to episode 26. And then people will be like, oh, that's the one with the blah, blah, blah thing. And then, and then like, like people immediately know like what you're talking about, you know, mm. like it's, it's, uh, cause it, I mean, I see, I see that as a benefit, even when you want to talk about a show sometimes like it, and I mean, just to pull a random show out of the air, like uh, Avatar Korra, for example, if I were to just like <laughs> name an episode, you would be like, uh, yeah, I don't really remember what else happened in that episode. But like in, in this show, um, an episode is the story, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious what you're talking about. And that, that makes it easier to discuss it, which makes it, I think, more viral. Um, mm. It's been interesting to watch. The show has gotten a lot more popular. It's like kind of doubled in popularity in the last year, I would say, um, in terms of its like listeners and such. So that's, that's good to see. Um, yeah. Fun stuff. I'm excited to jump on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you described it as being so uh, meticulously planned out because I remember, man, a, a few years ago, I tried to get into the podcast, uh, Welcome to Night Vale, which mm-hmm. sounds like it shares some at least surface level similarities where it's kind of a, an interesting setting and it's telling little self-contained bits. But the thing I really hated about Welcome to Night Vale was for you know 30 or 40 episodes that I listened to it, I felt like there was more that was developing, but it never really developed. And it mm-hmm. ended up just burning me out of the show because I was kind of like, there's so many cool elements here and they never come together. Um, I had the same exact experience with, with Night Vale where I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. Okay, it's interesting. Where are we going with this? Yeah, it's a fun setup. Let's be, see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think it's good that you brought that up because, like, one thing that I will say all the time about storytelling is, is you'll forgive a lot of sins if the characters are good. And the, the recurring characters of the Magnus archives are great. They're freaking fantastic. Uh, and, I think I think the show is great aside from that, um, but but that is one of the things that makes it just kind of hold together really well. Um, I feel like in Welcome to Night Vale, there just weren't characters. There was like the one guy who does the voice, and then mm. a whole bunch of crazy crap in the background. Um, but this show has has great characters and uh, great great storylines for those characters, and that's that's probably one of my favorite things about it. Actually, that's that's uh, it's funny. I don't I don't feel like this is a spoiler. I feel like I'm just kind of doing you a favor by saying. Um, don't be like me and like kind of just not pay attention to the framing story toward the beginning because like obviously they're introducing the important characters who you're going to be caring about for many more episodes. Um, so okay. don't ignore them. <laughs> yeah, like fair I, enough. I, 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 
I didn't really get that that's what it was at first. So I like I didn't get that they were going to be recurring and important. So I just didn't pay much attention. Um, it's not really a spoiler to say like that's kind of just the way the show works. I I feel like a comparison that I'm begging to make is uh have you read many scp stories matt i've read a ton of them yeah yeah what's what's the comparison like here because framing it as a you know an institute where they research the paranormal and these are kind of case files from that immediately makes Mm. scp stories jump into my head although those are self-contained uh for the most part um yeah i don't i don't want to answer in too much detail um because of spoilers of course but I, i i I kind of have to believe that there is some kind of influence or 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 inspiration. Um, the uh, yeah, I think I'm going to refrain from from like there's all kinds of similarities and all kinds of differences, but sure. I think it'll be more fun for you if you uncover what exactly is going on as you go. So as long as there's sure. a sacrifice of class D personnel, I'm in for it. <laughs> um, I um. I, yeah, I mean, well, so the other comparison, and I'm probably the only person, I don't know why I'm saying this because nobody else has seen it. There's a, there was a sci-fi show called Warehouse 13, which was sort of a similar pres- premise. There's this institute that basically, it, it was inspired by, you know, how at the end of Ark of the, oh, the first Indiana Jones movie, they put the Ark mm-hmm. in a warehouse. Right. So this <laughs> right. is basically a show saying who are the people who put all these magical artifacts in warehouses. Mm-hmm. And it was a show on sci-fi, so, they, you know, it never really landed very well um so i'm kind of excited to see what it seems to me is going to be a bit more of a mature take on the idea like warehouse 13 was very campy uh which is why it never really landed uh sure yeah i guess you could call it like it it takes the premise seriously i suppose you could say yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's um I don't know. I'm I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the with the spoilers. Um, <laughs> Sounds cause... like we should uh, start to wind it up, and then we'll dive more, <laughs> you know, more wholeheartedly into these conversations. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll just time. wrap up with like I really, I really, I really wish I could just prescribe the whole show <laughs> because because <laughs> if we could talk about the whole show when I come back, then uh, there there'd just be so much more to talk about. But mm-hmm. as it is, like the first season there's there's going to be plenty to talk about um there's a few reveals that we won't get to talk about but i'm sure you'll just end up watching it later and then we can talk about it in the discord yeah well and this there's a few things that we we come back to quite uh like uh, we come back to fairly solidly in like our annual prescriptions and Mm -hmm. maybe if by that point where we're all caught up we'll just have to bring you in for a bit of that sounds good yeah is it is it season one where it's revealed that the the you know the the magnus archives itself is named after the character from the adventure zone or is that like season two <laughs> season three kind of thing um i think i think that's um yeah that's patron only content uh, okay sure sure <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah yeah look i'm uh i'm i'm very excited to to dive into this show um i Me too. i the fact that there's so many things you want to talk about but can't is a, a often a good sign for us that that uh, we'll really enjoy something. <laughs> yeah, or you know maybe you'll hate it, and that that would be interesting too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I guess we'll uh, we'll dive into it over the next fortnight, get through season one, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Sounds good. So yeah, I guess we'll be back in a fortnight to talk more about uh, the Magnus Archives. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Media MD. If you want to leave us your thoughts on the Magnus Archives, uh, the best place to do that is our Twitter, I suppose. You can tweet us at MediaMDPodcast.
Uh, yes, you can also reach out to us uh, by leaving a comment on iTunes because we read those and it's a weird way to start a discussion, but like we'll take it if you give us five stars. Uh, we're also accessible via doformedia.com. That's the Doformedia website. Uh, you can find about find out a bit about us there. Uh, you can find out even more about Matt there, who you just heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also email us at podcast at gmail.com. God, I can't believe I put iTunes review before email. Yeah, yeah. That's embarrassing. Uh, look, we're, we're, fe- <laughs> we're fiendishly checking those iTunes reviews. Mm, yes, that was on purpose. <laughs> um, if you want to support the Doof Media Network, you can go to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and support this show, uh, Deep Impact, our other show, and all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network. And also, you know, you get a few extra little bonus Christmassy presents. Um, we got all kinds of cool Christmas <laughs> things. Uh, we got a bunch of uh, articles related to Christmas movies, which we've all written, which is fun. Um, and you get all kinds of nice perks, depending on the level that you back us at. Yeah, so head on over to patreon.com to see what those perks are. But um, there's there's so much cool extra content that's available to, to the patrons, so please check it out. Yes, um, I guess that's it. Uh, for more information on this show, head over to the home of Doof Media, doofmedia.com. You can find all the things we just mentioned, as well as all of the previous clues for the Media MD ARG, where you can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why is his proposal so unexpected. Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? Lightning. Lightning. And we'll see you next fortnight. Lightning.